Hello and welcome back to the JW Nixon High School Class of 1992 podcast. I'm your host, Missy Barrientos. Our guest for this episode is Francisco Javier Sanchez, PhD. He has a lot of honors, awards, and credentials, and we all remember him as Cisco. Cisco went to Texas A&M University and College Station after high school for his bachelor's degree and continued his studies at the University of Iowa, where he earned his PhD in counseling psychology. He then continued his education and training at the University of California in Los Angeles, which led him to the tenure track at the University of Wisconsin and then the University of Missouri. But he's now in the process of moving to Arizona, where his undergrad students will call him Dr. Sanchez. A word of warning, there is a mention of suicide ideation, so please take a deep breath and look at pictures of kittens or puppies if you find yourself triggered. Cisco, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's good to see you after so many years. <laughs> good to see you too. Nice to have you on. Tell us, what do you do for work and what are some of your hobbies uh, yeah, and so, what you uh, go by? Are you Dr. Sanchez? Are you Cisco? Are you Francisco? <laughs> I actually only have undergraduates call me Dr. Sanchez because they usually are very bad at boundaries and usually master's and doctoral level students are pretty, you know, much more professional. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a... Uh, uh, associate professor of counseling psychology, and I am currently in the middle. We just ended a semester here, uh, where I'm currently at, and we're, I'm about to move to Tempe slash Phoenix, Arizona, to begin my position there at Arizona State University. A very quick group of people who are, who are less familiar, perhaps, with the subdisciplines of psychology, counseling psychology. Many people think of clinical psychology, which are historically they were trained to deal with people who have very severe psychopathology, schizophrenia, major depression. Counseling psychologists, we are trained to work with more people who, with everyday problems who have intact personalities, but they're just responding to life the way humans respond to life, you know, grief, loss, death, bankruptcy, test anxiety. So we were trained to work with short-term, help people get through those periods of developmental kind of crises, whereas clinical is much more about severe psychopathology, lifelong, taking care of people. So anyways, so that's uh, my area of psychology. Hobbies, um, let's see. I do try to go to the gym, although COVID's thrown me off. So I didn't get back onto it. I actually got an Apple Watch not too long ago because I like, you know, every time I was going to the doctor every every so many months and they kept my weight kept keep going up. I'm like, okay, I need something to help track me because this is getting ridiculous. That I love wines, wine tasting. Um Southern California, and that's where I kind of got into those. I do love travel and photography. And so maybe I'll, I'll preemptively answer your question. I love road trips more than flying, although I do love flying because I have membership for clubs. And so I love going to the clubs and being pampered. However, the road trips I love because I can do random, like when you see those brown signs about, oh, there's a monument over here, some kind of historical site. And I will try to turn off on every road trip to see one of those. What is this brown sign leading me to? So yeah, so that's another hobby. And then... Uh, yeah, it's about you know spending time with very close friends here locally, or, or my cousin who's moved in with me for about three months, watching Netflix lately, binging on uh, Narcos, <laughs> the original Narcos, and then Narcos Mexico, and then Queen of the South. So now I, the last time I was flying, actually when I flew to Laredo for Easter, I felt very subconscious because I'm like, are those people in first class from the cartel or not? Because they look like the people characters from the show. But anyway, so 
So yeah, that's a, a, bin, a binge more recently. So anyway, then also as a professor, I tend to go off on tangents, so you may have to reel me back in. My students tend to have to reel me back in, especially as I'm thinking through logical problems and reasoning, I tend to get lost. So if you ever need to, just you know, give me a timeout or something. So I'm, uh, I'm terrible at that. I've been working in <laughs> higher ed since 2004, and I have not been able to figure that out. Just I just let professors talk. <laughs> yeah, well, you feel free to pull me in. Okay. All right. So let's go back to high school. What were you like as a teenager? So I think before we get into kind of those details, I just want to very quickly just, you know, at the outset say that it, it's been a very, I, I really loved hearing these podcasts because I think I've heard, I've only, I've listened to about 10 of the 17-ish that you have so far. And not only because it brought back a lot of memories, but also hearing from people that, oh my God, I forgot about, you know, Roger and Max and whoever else. Um, so it's been great to do that. I, I do want to say that from the outset that in terms of thinking back to high school, and Laredo, that I feel like I have more mixed feelings and at least the ones that I've listened to. And so my memories may not be as fond as others, but I'll try to focus much more on the more positive ones. Uh, and so, and it's interesting because like some of the stories that were mentioned there, they referred to peers or, or classmates who actually were, <laughs> for lack of a better term, like bullies against me during high school. So I really struggled to decide whether or not to, to do this podcast for a while. I think Alma Lozano reached out to me shortly after you interviewed her. And then uh, Jessica Palacios around the holidays, Laura Denise Sanchez or whatever alias she goes by nowadays. In the last month, she hit me up. And so finally, I decided with, after Laura, I said, okay, let's just do it. But I mean, the reality, I think um, once we graduated from high school, I never really wanted to look back. And I actively kind of avoided Laredo and Nixon High School. And the only, really the only people I had much contact with before maybe in the last few years was, uh, I don't know if you remember Dedef. She works at the Laredo Airport, uh, American Airlines. Yeah, and, Terry. Yeah. And then uh, Jessica Palacios, I can't remember how we reconnected. I know she went to AM, but we weren't really associated there um, in the last few years, which for, for drinks, I can't remember why. But then she was really been the only person I had contact with and Dedef at the airport. So I just want to say, like, as we as this unfolds, you know, I hope I don't sound super negative or come across as angry or bitter. Um, so we can really focus more on the good versus the bad. But I also want to say that um, my feelings about Laredo have changed uh, a lot some, from when we graduated in high school, mainly due to the COVID pandemic and kind of being going back to Laredo for a lot to try to help my parents out who are elderly. But I don't have access to my yearbooks. They're all in Laredo. I didn't have a chance to kind of flip back and read everyone's messages to me and kind of see the pictures. I just want to say that, and for anyone thinking about this and kind of probably thinking the same way as you may be thinking they don't have very fond memories. This is a, this is where I put my journalist hat on and say, this is a judgment free zone. And it's just our stories. We all have stories, good or bad. And we all have different experiences. Oh, for sure. Totally. And, and you know, I trust people like you, but I know that not everyone has as benign of a heart as you do, or at least a benevolent approach to this. And so I live a thousand plus miles away from Laredo. So it's very easy to, for me to swoop in and drop bombs and say all kinds of things, inflammatory things, but then it leaves my family back in Laredo. I have to deal with them because I know a lot of our peers, classmates, their families kind of graduated together with my parents or whatever. They work together. So eventually, somehow, some way, this could trickle to them where they hear it. I just don't want to, you know, cause We them. could seal this until 20, <laughs> yes. you know, 2192. <laughs> it's not open until, you know, and then, so what? No, but what was I like? I mean, I would say, and thinking back to me in high school, I mean, I think I was probably pretty naive and sheltered. 
and part of it was because you know listening to the stories and and also looking realizing it as many of you knew each other from childhood i was in public schools so i was born in chicago illinois a suburb of highland park and we lived in highwood and when we were three years old my mom wanted to come back to laredo to be with her mom who had been become sick from cirrhosis of the liver so we Back that move is all back to back to Laredo. I was actually never born here. Uh, my mom had been hey, born here. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna yeah. break a rule here. Yes. and just say I had the same experience. I was born in Chicago, and we moved when we were three. So, <laughs> where is Chicago? Chicago yeah. proper. Okay, well, wow. Mexican neighborhoods probably. Oh, you South Chicago <laughs> then around there. <laughs> nice. But yeah, see, this is the point of the podcast. I have known you for how long, and I never knew that. So, okay, continue. Yeah, no, so, so that was one of many places I've lived in now since then. But um, so we moved down in three. So I only went to Alma Pierce Elementary School for kinder and first grade. And then I went to United Day School, which is the old, like, dilapidated looking United Day School on the corner of Meadow and Clark, Clark Boulevard. And now it's like big campus in the north side. So I went there from second to seventh grade. And so, and then I went to San Agustin to eighth for eighth grade. And then finally I joined all of you at Nixon for ninth grade. And so really at that point, so many of you already kind of had friendships, kind of clicks or whatever, like you had a history, you knew each other, you knew your family, whereas I didn't. And so, you know, so I was, again, so kind of naive and sheltered us also because, you know, private school and public schools have different ways of being and, and, and working. And what I want to say is also, you know, I went to United School, not because my parents were rich, in fact, they were poor, but my dad was a roofer. And I don't know how he got into this agreement with United Day School, but he ended up bartering for our tuition because there's no way we could have afforded it. So he was a roofer. So any carpentry, any kind of handyman work they needed, my dad did it for them, free labor, free supplies, whatever. It was just, and that would be why I was allowed to go there. My older brother, JJ, who's class of 89, were allowed to go there. So I think Nixon, you know, naive and sheltered because of that different world experience, um, maybe people would think I was a loyal friend, the ones I was close to. I was very committed to school organizations, student organizations. I would say in class, I was pretty attentive. But I, I think also, you know, again, the adolescence, and as many of us remember the, in different ways, that the adolescent angst that comes um, from a lot of the, the identity development we go through, like, what do I like? Who, who do I like? That kind of stuff um, that I think contributed to, to some form of depression for me during high school only because kind of feeling like an outsider and not really knowing anyone, not having a good support network, and then not feeling like I belonged. And so, again, some of this came from United Day School, preceded, I think the psychologist here preceded Nixon in the sense of United Day School. I didn't feel like I belonged there because I was the poor kid and I was only there because my dad was doing free work. And because of that, I kind of became friends with the janitor, the only janitor we had because it was a small school at that point. And so, because my parents, you know, they could pick me up when they could pick me up at United Day School, everyone else was gone. So I'd be on the campus with the janitor, Francisco, same name, uh, helping them clean the classrooms, you know, clean the chalkboards, throwing the trash out. Uh, so I got very close to him. But, you know, because of that, people knew, like, he's a poor kid and he's a janitor. He's a janitor. And I went, it's interesting because some of the, I think some of the, some of that followed me because there was a posse for United Day School that ended up at Dixon High School. And uh, one of them decided to do graffiti in, in the boys' bathroom. And Francisco, who I was close to, because I helped him after school, but was very upset and hurt because he would have to clean up after that graffiti. And like, who do you know who did it? And I knew who did it. And of course, I told. And who knew that's 
uh, stitches got stitches back there, but I did, you know. <laughs> so the whole posse turned against me and hated me forever, even to Nixon when they showed up there as well. And then I also had at Nixon again, no longer, it was no longer about social class. So I wasn't being alienated because of social class, but because I think people were picking up in me something within me that I didn't understand or see because again, the adolescence is a period of development. It wasn't something that was necessarily on my forefront. Um, but kind of like um, being teased for possibly being gay, which I mean, which I am. But um, back then, I think it just wasn't something on my on my conscience, you know. I think people, there are certain people who point out me and, and say all kinds of um, derogatory things against me. And I'm like, I don't know you. I never did anything against you. I don't know why you're insulting me in this way. Um, so I haven't really learned how to navigate this environment at Nixon. So I think, you know, if you actually look back at the, um, our class pictures from I think especially our senior year. For me, when I look at those pictures, I look kind of sad and depressed. I, I didn't want to smile. Even when I got Border Patrol Student of the Year or whatever, Student of the Month. That's a Student of the Month. And you look at the videos, and I, I don't know if it's in the yearbook, but I have the pictures in the hallway because mom has all the pictures where I just, I'm not smiling because I don't want to smile because I'm not happy. And even subsequent to that, someone who was mentioned in the podcast earlier, who was a bully of mine, you know, after I got that award, every time I passed this person in the hallway, He'd go like, the pride of Laredo. If you remember the jingle from the commercials and they'd show the kid who got the pride of Laredo. So, yeah. So I think just the mixed feelings about high school. Well, that explains your sense of humor a lot because I remember we took a lot of classes together and I remember you as being funny, quiet, but funny. Like just that cutting, wicked sense of humor that could just, make me laugh and kind of make me think. And I also thought, because I didn't know you went to United Day, I just assumed you were part of the San Agustin crowd. I thought you were kind of religious, like kind of like Matt in a way. It's like, oh, you know, he goes to CCD. He's probably, you know, an altar boy or something, (laughs) which I was resentful. (laughs) I was resentful because the church wouldn't allow girls to be altar boys. Like, screw you. So, I mean, that's, a longer story, but my my sister Clarissa Sanchez, who's class of '98 for Nixon, I think she was one of the first ones to integrate the altar boy, whatever it's called now, at, church, at Christ the King Church on um, Guadalupe or Tilden, wherever it is. But yes, I was an altar boy in part because of my maternal grandmother who wanted my brother and I to be altar boys. Yeah, but I think yeah. Well, bullies aside, what okay. do you think your classmates thought of you? And if you had told me somebody was bullying you, I would have kicked their ass. Just putting it out there. <laughs> or I would yeah. have threatened to. I see. Well, hopefully, maybe after this recording, you'll finally reveal to me. You knew who broke into my locker. That was also another traumatizing thing for me. So it was, I think it was our first year. And we, our lockers were in the, if you're facing the old administration building, the first building to your left. And someone had broken into my locker. And of course, you know, coming from United Day School, San Agustin, I was like traumatized, like, you know, like uh, this violation, which maybe, you know, didn't happen there as much, at least not overtly that way. And the only reason I knew you knew is because I used to have a Texas instrument and calculator uh, where the battery cover would pop off. And so I put scotch tape on it to keep it closed. And you saw someone with that specific Texas instrument calculator with the scotch tape in the back. And like, oh, I saw you, someone else had this calculator. I'm like, yeah, someone broke into my locker. I'm like, who is it? I'm like, I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Of course, I, I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. Well, and you were also around those possibly peers, you know, from, you know, whichever school. But I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did learn a lot back then that you had to just like fake 
a lot to just, you know, fake, uh-huh, yes, that's a funny joke or whatever, but, but this is about you. This is a podcast about you. Okay. It's, a, it's a tough period of development. And so I think, and again, like I mentioned, it's, it's a sensitive period of development, psychosocially, psychosexually. And I think all, a lot of us or all of us struggle in trying to want to fit in, be liked, and then navigate all these different things that we're going through because of puberty and, and everything else. So who did you hang out with? So first it was like people who came from San Agustin as well. So Erica Salinas and then eventually her brother, Sean Salinas, Elsa Saavedra, who was like BFFs with uh, Erica. So Mark Tijerina, who actually knew Mark before San Agustin. So I went to San Agustin's eighth grade, but he and I had been in the Laredo Swim Club a couple of years before I actually showed up at San Agustin. So he was a close friend of mine and he also lived about five blocks away. Uh, I think Brian Overall also might have been at San Agustin. So I kind of knew him, but he was also the golfer kind of jock. And so I didn't see him as much. So it was Erica Elsa a lot. Then uh, I don't uh, no, I know. I do know, actually. So Laura's gang, Laura Sanchez's gang, because of tennis. So I used to be right. in tennis until one of my regrets for your questions is I was um, adolescently rude towards Coach Pichot. And she eventually kicked me off the team. <laughs> one of my biggest regrets, I feel really bad. And I, if she ever hears this or her family, just knows that I'm really sorry that I was such a jerk as a kid to her. But anyways, um, so the interesting thing with Lauda was that, um, so his whole, 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 whole gang, Sandra, Maggie, I can't remember all of them, but I was, there was, that was one of the circles I was with. Uh, and she also faked that we were cousins. So, I don't know. so she would say that her and I were related. We were not related. We just shared like, the same last name. And I listened to her podcast and she said in there, that the reason she did that was because at the time, having very close male-female friendships was looked at kind of odd and you must be dating or something. And so to kind of diffuse that or kind of get rid of that, she chose to say that we were cousins. At the time, I, I actually thought it was because she was trying to give me some street credit because no one knew me. I was coming from private schools and also to kind of protect me because she may have been picking up on some of the insults that were being hurled at me about my background. Uh, so then the other, and the other kind of cluster, which I kind of... Kind of um, maybe classify them as strong acquaintances or almost like those really close work buddies, but they're outside of work, you don't really do anything with them was that a lot of people were related to student council. So student council became a very big part of my life. Um, and there's a lot of people, I can't remember them all. Again, my yearbooks are home, but I remember Dan, uh, Tappy and Devon uh, Ramirez, I think, uh, the sisters, David Donovan, Larry Moreno, Sergio Coronado, Real Anis, Rui Alvarado. So there's a lot of all these like student council people who I became very closely involved with, especially as I moved to becoming the president. And they were kind of just a big part of my life. So those are kind of the people I hung around with. One other person I'll give a, a shout out to. And I Wait, to... you're getting ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. We have a, fo- uh, we have a formula here. We have a list, okay? I have to rein you back in. Okay. Did y'all hang out anywhere? Did you have any special hangouts? So at lunchtime, we tended to go to Las Asadas and the McDonald's, you know, when it was open campus. Now, now they're kind of confined like prisoners. But also in terms of social, if it wasn't student council or some other student activity, because there was in a few other organizations as well. Uh, one, one place that I do remember going a lot uh, was to um, Erica Salinas' house. So she lived over close to LJC and... I became very close friends to her and her brother. And then I, they were kind of be my refuge and I would go there a lot. And I think one of the strongest memories, not only that I, you know, and I look back and I'm like, they must've thought I was so freaking annoying because it was, I would just show up. It was not like, Hey, I'm coming over. It's like, ding dong. And sis goes at the door, <laughs> but I, you know, they wanted the most beautiful memories that I have of doing that. Not only to be able to talk with them, you know, at their table and whatever, but is seeing Erica's mom 
take care of her mom who's very who's very sick and very bedridden and kind of seeing just a just a very incredible love um and i know mrs Sunny recently passed away which makes you know which um sad but it, you know hopefully joined mr Sunny and, and hit her mom but I, it was such a strong memory of seeing that just such a strong traditional love from a daughter to a mother who was bedridden and, and, and you know and, and needing a lot of care but yeah but so that's where i hung out with socially mostly outside of uh, organizations did you skip class i know you were in the student council and I was trying to think about this. I think the only time I may have skipped class may have been the senior skip day, the official senior skip day, but they all knew we were going to skip. But I don't remember what we did. But I, if anything, that probably was the only time I skipped class. Because I was a conscientious okay. student. <laughs> were you in any other clubs or organizations? So student council was the big one I've already mentioned. Uh, the other ones that I was, I was involved in was um, NASA. So... Uh, the Nixon Association of Scientific Apprentices was what stood for. And I, I, I swear that um, Lauda is the one who came up with that name. Uh, but it was a, a club that we started with Mrs. Leindecker and Mr. Daniels. I was the first president. And that first year, uh, I was very dedicated to trying just fundraising. And so spent a lot of time trying to fa- find ways to, to build the, the bank for I don't know what. But anyways, tr- just trying to fill the bank and then someone else took over after me. Uh, I was also part of the debate team, but not officially the debaters. So I didn't do cross-examination or Lincoln Douglas. Instead, I did um, extemporaneous speech. And so the doctor, I mean, doctor, Mr. S- Mr. Sam Sanchez was still our, our coach for the for the extemporaneous speakers. And so, you know, I think in, that's one of the organizations where it's, it's, it's still a skill I use a lot because the idea there is that you have 30 minutes of prepared speech based on something you were just given and you have to have had files already in place. So we had to pick a lot of newspapers beforehand about hot topics. And then try to make a speech. So again, how can you speak out of just a few spare notes? Or if you don't have any notes, like how can you BS your way through a speech? Uh, I was also very involved with the, the St. John Newman's Choice. I think Max or Matt did a different type of like thing, but I was that's why I think for a while you maybe thought I was religious, because after I did that retreat, which was because of Cindy Crawford, Cindy Crawford? Virginia Crawford, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Virginia Crawford, who was in class in like 89. I don't remember how she wrote me in to go to St. John Newman with her for this retreat, but I did that. And then for probably several, two years at least, I was very dedicated to it. So I was wearing my cross with little buttons on them. And then the other thing I was very involved with, which was much more of a summer thing, was Doctors Hospital Junior Volunteering. So every summer I spent, you know, over a thousand hours each summer at a doctor's hospital in different departments just to be exposed, helping, learning about medicine. So those are my major organizations. Did that leave you any room for an after-school job or a weekend or summer job? No, you know, my parents didn't want me to work. They wanted me to dedicate myself to just organizations, which I appreciate. And at the same time, I wonder, had they made me work, would I have a better appreciation for money and budgeting, maybe? Um, but no, I did not have, a, I didn't have to do a job. And I feel very fortunate about that in high school. So what was a, t- a typical day like for you back then, your senior year? Uh, I mean, nothing extraordinary, you know, just go wake up, eat breakfast, go to school, then do after school activities, oftentimes with um, student council, and then go home, do homework, watch television, and then, you know, back to bed for the same thing the next day. So nothing too fun or interesting. <laughs> so you mentioned that hanging out at Erica's is some of your favorite memories. Do you have any other favorite memories from high school? 
So a lot of them are related to student council. So, you know, I think, I don't remember how I first got involved in it in our freshman year, but to some degree, I almost feel like it's part of my coping mechanism where I immerse myself into something. I'm super busy with work or some kind of organization. I don't have time to worry about anything else that's upsetting me or worrying me. So, you know, every, every um, for instance, in the fall, every every Friday was concession stand if it was a home game. So I'm there very early with the student council or going to uh, Casa um, Juarez, I think, to get all the materials for the concession stand and setting it up and then working the concession stand well after the football game is over because we have to clean up also for the next day for whoever's going to come in the next day. Um, so those are a lot of good memories of just doing that, running that, a lot of fun. Bus trips to the football game. So whether it's Eagle Pass, Del Rio, San Antonio, Corpus, as being a part of like the student council going to go support the team. The other big thing, going to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, um, with the basketball team because the student council is going to support their trip up there to St. Francis High School. And then they would come down and we'd host them. So a lot of those, and then the other student council related thing for, I think it was one or two years I was chaplain. So I didn't remember, I, I would do the announcements in the morning. <laughs> and at some That's point, why I thought you were religious. <laughs> But I, I did say everyone, like, uh, I can't remember what it was, like, you know, like, to reflect or to to pray each in your own way or something like that. But anyways, um, and then I also do the football game as well. But anyways, uh, it was also, uh, at some point, I don't know why they decided to do, like, a, a Mustang TV. So it was where we, we would push a button, and, and Mr. Salinas, the vice principal, we knew this, push a button, it would force the TVs in all the classrooms to turn on, and they'd show, like, a, like a two to three minute, like, in the news, like, news briefs, for real, from national and then me, and at that point, it was like Louis Alvarado, which is a grade below us, would pop on and we'd be there to give the announcements on camera versus just audio, which I don't understand why, but it was, it was, um, took us a while to get used to because I was always laughing in front of that camera. Um, but anyway, so the memories, and then one other one, well, Doctor's Hospital, a lot of the memories there, but that's not really necessarily But from high school, a lot of positive experiences with the uh, medical professionals through that. Well, I think... Uh, being on television was just preparing you for Zoom and the pandemic and teaching class on Zoom. Although I'm still very clumsy with the Zoom thing. So, well, I know you touched on this, but any memories from high school that make you sad or groan with regret? Either something, I mean, I, this question was kind of written in mind with something maybe you did. Yeah, I mean, well, being, being a jerk to Mrs. Coach Pacho was one. But I think also there was, a, I don't know why, maybe it was like this place in my own angst or feeling outcasted that there was a, I, I don't know her, but I knew she was a student at Nixon. I don't remember which grade, but she worked at the, the Photoshop at HEB on Saunders. Um, and for some reason, something happened where I was just really rude to her, you know, and I always remember that. <laughs> so it weighs on me a lot to like, why was I such a jerk to her? Just to display because you were a teenager, uh, yeah, a, a stupid teenager displacing or who knows what. But the, the good thing about that, Mr. Pinchot, this student, or other places where I was kind of obnoxious, like at United High School, going and making fun of them being snobs, you know, and saying it out loud to people around me, like, why, why am I doing that? So, I guess the benefit to that is like it makes me much more conscious nowadays, like to just be more mindful. And, and the question, like, why are you doing something to just poke at someone else? What What's going on inside of you that you need to do that to make someone else feel bad because you feel bad about something else? So. Is there anything you wish you had done in high school? I don't 
Yeah, that's the one I struggle with the most. What do I wish I'd done? No, I mean, there's, I wish I always knew how to play an instrument. I don't know if I would join you in the percussion line or something, but, you know, at least uh, my mom was a flutist. My brother, JJ, was a cellist, but I didn't, I never learned how to play an instrument. I was always interested in the piano and that I could have done that in a band, but it looks, I, so I wish I'd known how to do an instrument besides the recorder with Mrs. Um, the blonde haired woman who was a princess from India or whatever her name was. Miss McDowell, was it? Or... Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I was in band, so I didn't know any of the other music teachers because they were. I was in that class with Ronnie from Vegas. It was pretty fun. I love Ronnie. I, I wonder. I mean, I you know, I, I I don't know what she's up to, but she certainly was. What I mean by that is, just she was a very she was a very solid source of of, of emotional support for me, whether or not she needed that. Well, then, who do you think were the coolest kids our senior year? You mean aside from all the ones with the big glossies in the, in the yearbook? <laughs> <laughs> which i know i'm pictured with alma and i'm pictured with ronnie because ronnie and i were runner-ups for i think best all around so we're in the in the old school library That's right we're like by the globe and she's like cisco the world is ours or something like that in my year but she signs you know a lot of those people sure but i uh but i also think you know thinking about the cool people and who i wish i would hear more about is actually the stories of we know those glossy people lives much more than people who are not in those classes and I want to hear more about people who maybe never left Laredo or who, who do more of a for lack of a better term right now blue collar work versus white collar work you know I want, like those are the we'll people. get to that soon yeah. also <laughs> getting ahead of yourself sorry <laughs> okay so who were your favorite teachers and why so I know Laura hated Mrs. Leindecker, but I love Mrs. Leindecker. <laughs> and I think what I, I just had a great deal of respect for it, not only because I learned a lot about physics and her approach to it was more algebra versus calculus based, but I think I just had a great deal of respect for her. And I don't remember, did you take, did you take with her or no class with her? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you knew the rule about you could not be late to her class. Like if that bell rang and you had not, yes. you were not in the classroom, don't even open that door. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> I remember she would tell students like, "Leave, I don't want to see you." I'm like, yep. oh my God. "Like, I never wanted to be late to her class." Although I was late once, and maybe we'll get to it a little bit, and I was just very traumatized. And she allowed me to come in, I think, only because she saw how um, out of sorts I was. Mrs. Chavez, the algebra teacher, I love. I she was very quiet and meek and humble. I feel like she was so caring and kind, and I just feel like I learned so much from her. About and I just and I I, I just gave a very strong appreciation for algebraic formulas, which is a very important for those of us who continue to do statistics now for research stuff. Um, Mr. Daniels, <laughs> as odd as I thought he was at some point because he was he was so country and twangy, always had a toothpick in his mouth, which he knew he wanted to have like dip problem in his mouth problem, you know, and he always had very tight jeans. And then uh, Mrs. Lopez, I, she I. I don't know if she was a favorite. She definitely was someone who left a very strong memory in me. Uh, two, three reasons. So I remember she'd always allude to premarital sex and tell the girls, like, if he tries to have sex with you, tell him picos or something like that. Erica and also another story much better than I do, but I just remember we always joke about the picos. And then the other thing I remember with Mrs. Lopez, uh, every now and then the the landscapers would come through to weed whack or mow. And she would stop class. She'd go to the window and she'd like knock on there and tell me, like, no, you know, and she'd make him stop mowing until she's done teaching. So they would listen to her. I also like Mrs. Rocha, probably because she taught me the most practical skill that I still use nowadays, which was keyboarding. 
I mean, you know, never would have, I think I took the class and I'm like, well, I think it's an easy A. My mom also does a lot of typing, so I'll just learn how to do this. But nowadays, when I see people who are typing like the one finger at a time, I'm like, why are your fingers on home row? I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, it's just, so there's a lot of Mrs. Wacha, I still use that, Mrs. Winters, because she's a very strong advocate for me against uh, another teacher who was verbally abusive against me. And then, of course, Mr. Sam Sanchez, because of the skills he taught me through degree. Were there any classes that you thought were difficult or hard or just didn't like? No, I mean, I remember Spanish. I had this tip with one of the tips. I can't remember which Spanish teacher it was. So like I mentioned earlier, so I went to Alma Pierce. Those Who was are, your first grade teacher? By the way, teacher? I went to Alma Pierce also and then transferred. <laughs> uh, Maida Campos or, or Gilbert Vargas would know because I was about to say, maybe Benavides. Why is that Benavides? Sounds like a, a name from back then. But I was going to say, like, Maida Campos, who was our class, she was one student I knew when I first got there, beyond the San Agustin students. And then Gilbert Vargas was, when we were in kinder and first, we were best friends back then. But of course, you know, between first to ninth grade, things change and we're not, you know, we're different people. So we kind of were friends with each other, but we weren't necessarily friends with each other. His young, he had a younger brother, I think a grade below us. And we were in Spanish together. So it wasn't a difficult class, but just one where I didn't like the teacher. So, um, so I remember just one time we were taking a class, we were taking a test. He dropped his pencil. I bent over to pick it up and hand it to him. And the teacher's like, 10 points off your exam, both of you. I'm like, what? I'm like, and she's like, yeah, you're, you know, I already told you no communication whatsoever. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I was being a crazy human being. So 10 What's the teacher? I want, I don't know if I have the right name because I don't want to like throw someone under the bus if it isn't the right one, but it's about me. It feels right, but I'm not sure that's right. I'm like, it could, it could be totally not her. No. Uh, but my mom came and complained to them. But I also, so I, I submitted my test and on the back of it said like, you know, I wish you would actually take points off of the people who are cheating versus the ones who are not cheating. Have a happy day. And then, so she actually read it right away before I left the classroom. She's like, well, why don't you tell me who's cheating? I'm not going to tell you who's cheating. But anyways. Um, so, niches get stitches. That's why. Yeah. After United Day School, I know that. So yeah, that, it wasn't a hard class, but that's one where I did not like the teacher. What? What's your favorite music? Um, do you mean my playlist or genre? No, not yet. Not your playlist yet. But just what kind of music did you listen to in high school or senior year? So I was I started to listen to a lot of the early, the pre-EDM. So the house R&B, old school kind of led into what we now know as EDM. Um, so MTV used to put out those, like MTV Party to Go, you know. And so that would be on my rotation. But also then... Um, Oh, oh uh, soundtracks. So things like classical music to movies like Dance with the Wolves, whatever, JFK. So these these instrumentals, so there was no words. So I usually listened to those when I was studying. And then if I was doing other things, I'd be listening to the house art. Did you watch TV shows? What movies were you into? Books or magazines or comic books even? Yeah, so back when I used to read fiction, because I don't anymore since I started graduate school, so I used to read a lot of Star Trek, like Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation. I used to watch the classics on rerun, Twilight Zone on rerun. That's right. You're a fellow Trekker. Trekkie. <laughs> yes. Although I fell out of, I, I lost track after, I think Enterprise is where I stopped. Although I didn't watch J.J. Abrams' movies. But um, I started to catch up because I don't see BS has all these on the plus. I didn't catch up on. And then, I don't know, I think Golden Girls overlapped into our years. So that was one I used to watch with my mom a lot. And I thought it was pretty funny because of the salacious humor that the older women had, you know, and kind of seeing mom react to that kind of make me, which is what I liked seeing, you know, especially Blanche Devereaux, who's 
you know, very liberal with her sexuality. <laughs> Do you use any Laredo words or phrases? Still. Yeah, I mean, I think every now and then I might, not as much subsequent to us graduating, but maybe more so after having been in Laredo so much for the pandemic. Orale, andale, ay Dios mío. Those are kind of the ones I've, I've noticed a bit more. You said that you left your yearbooks at home over at your parents' home. Did is there anything you have with you from high school that you still keep no. with you? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I feel bad again. It's, it's this when I left when we graduated. I was like, I never want to look back. This, these are these are in as a whole. Yes, there are instances of the periods of, of happiness and I like these memories, but as a whole, it just was not a period I wanted to remember. And I remember listening to your interview with, I think, I don't know if you were the one with Jessica. But, um, yes. Yeah. So she said something like where she came across me on campus. And I remember it. And I remember being shocked because it's almost like, and, I, and nothing against Jessica, but it's like, you're, what are you doing here? You're like, it, it just burst in my bubble of like, I'm so far from Laredo. At that time, AM was 40,000 students, 8% Latino. Now it's much more. It's, it's not only is it about 65,000, but I think it's about 22, 22% Latino. So back, so, and all of a sudden, you know, it was like this collision with the past, even though I knew that Carlos Ramos was there also and a few other students from their class, but I just, they're just, I tried to stay out of those worlds because I was wanting to start a new reset and not remember these years. Sorry. <laughs> no, worlds collide. I get it. Uh, whom from high school? I think you touched on this already though, but. Whom from high school are you most interested in finding out about? Uh, so Rhonda Rodriguez, again, you know, whether or not she knew about it, she was a source of a lot of emotional support indirectly. And um, here's where she's at and what she's doing. Sally Villanueva, I remember, she, I think she was part of Laura's group, but she seemed to have gone through just a, bi a big change after we graduated and, and kind of knowing how she's doing. And Laura Valdez, I think she was our class as well. I think she was going to go into law maybe, but I'm, I'm, I've always been curious how she's doing. So those are kind of three things that come to my mind. Well, if anyone knows where they are, tell them to come on our podcast. So now we're going to go to life after high school. And you already mentioned that you went to A&M. Tell us about that. Um, so I went to A&M in large part because when we were in high school, so my brother, who was class of 90, I'm sorry, 89 at Nixon. Uh, so he went there. And so, you know, of course, we would go visit him every year. And after I went to a football game in Texas A&M, I was very blown away by the spirit and culture. Now, <laughs> from, you know, Jessica talks about this a little bit. A&M has a lot of its problems, you know, but to some degree also there's kind of like this um, camaraderie and um, just really esprit de corps, this morale, the spirit around each other. Esprit de cult? Esprit, yeah. <laughs> okay, Longhorn. Um, well, well I, I speak from a Texas Tech point of view because... Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, tech has its own cult, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. its own cult. Yeah. No, I, I know. I agree. And I've debated. I actually applied. We're going on tangents here. I actually applied for a job at Texas A&M in the last year um, when I got the appointment at the ASU. And unfortunately, they didn't um, invite me to go there. But, you know, I certainly was interested in going back just mainly to be close to family. But anyways, um, so A&M was there for five years. So I was a part of the core cadets, so which is like ROTC, but now college level. 
And I chose a lot of my buddies that choose. I was in the Army branch, so all branches are represented there. Coast Guard is represented over in the Galveston campus, but all the other branches are at the main campus. So I chose not to go on because at that time, there was still the don't ask, don't tell policy. I had to sign papers saying that I was not gay, even though I knew I was lying. And then I'm like, I don't want to have to go into this and then be committed to all these kind of things I don't really believe in. Um, so those was my four years there. And then my fifth year, I took my five years to graduate. And then after that, I went to the University of Iowa for my PhD, which took me eight years to do. The final year was at USC, University of Southern California, Los Angeles for my internship, which is the same as um, medical doctors who go to a residence. Uh, psychologists go to a one-year intensive residency of doing psychotherapy. And then I realized this was not for me. It's very exhausting to do, you know, psychotherapy 24-7, back-to-back. But I respect people who can do that. Um, so then I, I searched for a postdoc where I could kind of reach and become more of a scientist. So I ended up at UCLA School of Medicine and I got my postdoc for six, year, six years in human genetics and uh, neuroendocrinology. Then that was when my first appointment as a scientist for two years. And then I went to my first appointment as a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in counseling psychology, now University of Missouri in counseling psychology, and next will be Arizona State University in counseling psychology. So throughout your 20s and 30s, did you do anything other than study? (laughs) So, yes. So I think from the early experiences, again, having gone to United Day School and and seeing the classism, United Day School and seeing kind of like people treat others poorly when they don't even know each other, the out-group, in-group kind of mentality, uh, my volunteerism in high school. So I think one of the major themes for me post- uh, Nixon is more of a social justice advocacy, multicultural advocacy perspective. And, you know, so I, um, and I, I'm car- part of it also stems back not only to my own personal experience, but also like, um, so Alma Lozano. Um, so she in high school recruited me to go help do phone banks for Ann Richards. And that was my first brush in with trying to do like politics, which was very scary. I had some hostile phone calls. And she would always say, you know, I don't know what to say. And I hand the phone to her and she'd take it over. But, you know, and then also uh, Boy State in high school, which uh, Max and Dadlos, and I think someone else went to as well. No, it's Jaime Vela. Did you yeah. see the documentary? No. Highly what, recommend it. it. Well, or maybe not. <laughs> what's it called? Boy State. Oh, okay. And uh, Netflix? I think it's on Amazon. I'm not sure. So, so I think having done that and then also the Boy State, like what they taught us there and kind of the exposure to this idea, you know, so in Iowa, I did a lot of work with HIV AIDS patients back in the day when it was still very scary to work with them. It's quote unquote scary because people thought they were going to get sick and die. And then I got very involved with the human rights campaign, which is the nation's largest LGBT civil rights group. Back when it was a smaller organization, now it's huge, humongous, they have their own building. But I was their um, field coordinator. I was the state coordinator, well, field coordinator and state coordinator for Iowa. So I'd go around the state doing uh, panels, giving information out at colleges, speaking up against hate crimes, lobbying federal and state officials. So that kind of just gave me an exposure to being a, a, a citizen and how, how can we engage with policymakers that have such a big effect on us in a positive way, like especially for the people who are historically marginalized. Um, so HRC was a big one, a, a, the American Psychological Association, so my professional organization, you know, huge involvement with them, especially right now. Currently, I'm working with them uh, on a team, the legal counsel team. So we've worked, we've written amicus briefs, which are friends of the courts briefs, 
related to issues that psychological science can inform the core about. So the most recent one was about um, job discrimination in 2020, where we helped inform the justices about why protecting LGBTQ citizens under Title VII, which is sex discrimination, it should be covered under Title VII. And the justices agreed with us, and they used some of the stuff that we wrote for them in their argument, their opinion. And then currently working on a few other amicus briefs for the SCOTUS, but also a task force related to um, people who are born with intersex conditions or, or disorders of sex development is, is a medical nomenclature. But how can we help better give health care to those patients um, and not just kind of like ignore the needs that they have? So I think social justice post Nixon has been a big theme. Um, but I think the big thing is also just a development from, I used, I used to think I wanted to be a full-time clinician, like you come see me for an hour on my couch or whatever, not the couch, but you know, in the, in the seat, um, to maybe more, when I realized I couldn't do that, taking kind of curiosities that I, that I had from all the patients I worked with and all the struggles that they had, and the big one being about, you know, why was I born gay? Why was I born transgender? And as a scientist, not being able to say like, this is why, Want to then take that into the laboratory and try to start to see, you know, what might be the genetic or biological basis that contributes to it to help kind of answer those questions for, for patients and clients. So those are kind of the big things I think post high school, like social justice and also kind of the move from a, a clinician to more of a scientist and trying to answer curiosities for my patients. Well, if we had asked 18 year old Cisco what you'd be doing 30 years later, what do you think you would have said? Uh, I was going to be a pharmacist. <laughs> That's where the money is. I know, you know, right? And um, and I, at the time, it's because my older brother, JJ, he was going to be a doctor. And then my mom's like, it'd be great if you were the pharmacist so that he could be prescribing the meds and you'd be filling the meds for him. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just be a pharmacist. But then I went to Texas A&M and then Dr. Tang's uh, Chemistry 101, I got a D. I'm like, okay, so much for medicine and pharmacy. And at the same time, I was taking psych classes. So I realized this is really fascinating by human behavior and emotion. What can science, science tell us about that? So... Yeah, not what I thought I would have been doing. I never would have thought I would be a professor. Trust me. <laughs> what are the top three memories of your life after high school? So I'll go with the positive ones. It's kind of more, let's say, so when, we, when I turned 40, I went skydiving as my milestone over San Diego. So that was a, a great um, memory, exciting memory. And I wanted to do it again, you know, maybe over Hawaii or somewhere else. And, and I, I almost chickened out, I'll tell you this. So when, you know, the plane goes up in a circle until you're at the right altitude and then they throw you out the door with someone else attached to you. But I was getting scared as we're getting higher and higher. But there was this like, you know, 80 year old grandmother about to jump. I'm like, there's no way I cannot jump if she's going to jump. So the other thing also, I think, um, so having been involved with uh, some of the things related to, you may have heard issues related to elite athletes in the Olympics who have intersex conditions. Uh, so Kessler Semenya from South Africa was accused of being a man when she wasn't. She just had perhaps an androgen sensitivity syndrome. You know, so I was, I went with a team to Lausanne, Switzerland, to the IOC headquarters, International Olympic Committee headquarters, to try to help advise them and talk through like these issues and, and find a way that we can allow intersex and trans athletes to compete where we respect the, their dignity and also kind of respect kind of the parameters of athleticism. Um, and I would say my work with the UCLA lab, so it's very unusual. So it's a hard shift from being more of a social scientist to more of a life scientist. But um, Dr. Eric Belaine, who was my PI, 
So he was one of the few clinics at the time, now there's many more in the U.S. where they would see children who are born with ambiguous genitalia or intersex conditions. And so one of the biggest, not only are parents struggling because they never imagined having this to have to worry about when someone's born, when their children is born, but also what do you, what do, you do? How do you assign the gender or sex? What's the long-term outcome uh, psychosocially, but also sexually? Like what's the outcome? And so trying to help them uh, do research related to those kind of issues to give more information to families, although it's still a very complex issue. Is there anyone from high school that you consciously stayed in touch with on purpose? Or was it just scorched earth? <laughs> I wouldn't call it scorched earth. It's almost <laughs> like uh, that chapter's over and let's just move on. You know, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, there, there's so many, I mean, we're a great class. And, and, I, and I also, you know, in thinking about and listening to stories, um, the fact that, that all of us um, that we've heard so far, and I'm sure many, many more than us, were successful considering really the inequitable distribution of educational resources in the state of Texas. You know, I remember our textbooks were falling apart. I remember one was held together by duct tape that I had. I remember going to summer school at Nixon and they had to turn off the lights so they could keep the air conditioner on. You know, we've heard the stories about how horrible the bathrooms were. Meanwhile, I remember going because of UIL up to Plano to Carroll in Corpus and they have glass encased elevators, escalators. You know, they have like these beautiful glass encased libraries. I'm like, Wow, I'm like, why do they have all these resources and us down in South Texas? We're like, you know, hope to God that no one breaks into the library and steals who, who knows what, you know, a computer, the Apple IIe, you know, so it's just like the, the fact that so many of us were able to be successful considering the inequitable distribution of educational resources in our state, I think is, is tremendous. Well, I think you've touched on where you lived, all the places you've lived since you left Laredo. Go through that again. <laughs> Yeah, so I lived in Bryan College Station after once we graduated. So I did do LCC, I think that summer, just to do some general ed stuff. I went to AM for a year, came back and did a few more GEs. And then after that, I never really came back, to be honest with you. In fact, I only came back about once a year until my sister had kids. Uh, so probably since I'm fascinated. But I lived in Bryan College Station, Iowa City, Los Angeles, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, Columbia, Missouri. And I'll be headed to Phoenix, Tempe next. And so the schools I went to were Texas A&M, University of Iowa, University of Southern California, UCLA, University of Wisconsin, University of Missouri, and next will be Arizona State University. I'm not, not, Max still has me. He's, he's still talking. I, I heard all the places he's been at. So he has much more than I do, but. <laughs> well, his was paid for by the military. So it's also a little different. <laughs> so what has your journey been like? I know you've done a lot of stuff with social justice. What have you learned about yourself? Have you learned anything about yourself? Post Nixon? Um, yeah, you know, I think, so when I started this, you know, the interview, I talked about how you look at pictures of me from high school, and if you really look at them, especially, I think, our senior year book, I, I didn't really have a smile. I wasn't happy. You know, I did struggle with some suicidal ideation. I know one, I think one of your guests did as well. And actually, this is interesting. Um, so I don't remember, you remember this, this is another story of you. So you pass out a sheet of paper with numbers and there was a question at the top. And I think the question was, have you ever thought about suicide? And you pass it out in the classroom and you said like, don't worry, I know, I won't know who answers what because it's numbers and no names. Um, but not many people were answering that. So you were able to do very quickly deduce that I had answered yes. <laughs> and you called me and he's like, you thought about suicide? I'm like, 
Yeah, I mean, but thinking about it doesn't mean I intended to or had a plan or had the means to do it. But I think, you know, it was just a reflection of, I think, a lot of the struggles I was going through in high school of feeling like this. I don't really have a strong support group. Uh, I'm feeling alienated for these issues. So, yeah. I don't so, remember. I must have been drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like it was like a science project. You know, like where the teacher tells you, like, do a survey and then, you know, trying to teach you how to do the scientific method, but not really giving you a lot of guidance on how to do it. But now I lost the original question. But I mean, hey, right? We're still <laughs> yeah, have you, what have you learned about yourself? Uh, what have I, um, so I have think, you learned anything? Yeah, no. So I think, so I guess where I was going with that is like, I think, you know, the Cisco in Nixon was a very confused, unsure, sad, I can't wait to get out of here. And I would say now it's just kind of like, you know what, I am who I am. You take me for who I am, or you don't take me at all. I think once just being genuine and true to who I was just really took off a lot of uh, weight and anxiety and allowed me to be more genuine and caring as opposed to, again, lashing out at other people because I felt very oppressed or very pushed down on because of these Mexican views about sexuality or whatever it is, you know, and yeah, I think a lot of it just came from being able to find spaces and find validation for what I was doing and who I was and the research I do. And uh, again, you know, published in different ways than, than Roger and uh, Max, but, you know, publishing in terms of the scientific basis of some of these concepts that I'm very interested in and trying to help other people. You're adding to the body of work in psychology. That's the kind of publishing that you do. Yeah. Stuff you would not want to read, but whereas <laughs> Roger's much more entertaining than I have on my list now because of this podcast, you know, uh, but yes. I'm presuming you don't have children. You haven't mentioned them, but you have nieces or nephews? I do. So my, my sister, Clarissa, again, class of 98, she... Um, Are there anything she, like you? Smart Alley. I'm a smart Alley. So uh, she had Lauren first in 2011, and two years later, she had the twins, um, JJ and Marianne. And they are all very unique and very, I can already tell who's going to be, who's going to pay back Claire for all her adolescence. But uh, Lauren is, is a very kind-hearted. JJ's very, like, gamer, nerdy. Marianne's, like, you know, dancer, cheerleader type. So uh, probably Lauren, maybe the most, the oldest, um, just very intellectual, very sensitive, very, very conscious of other people. Like, like her empathy is very high. Who's made the biggest impact on your life since high school? So uh, excluding family, because we've always families, you know, I think that's a, a common answer. And I think definitely, I mean, there's no, no doubt that my parents, especially the example of them being super involved in social organizations in Laredo, especially organizations that help raise money for students from our community to go on to college. Um, so aside from that, I think, you know, I do have to credit Eric Lane, who was my postdoctoral mentor, who was from Paris, France. He helped identify some of the genes that lead to intersex conditions. So he's the one who had the clinic where he saw the children. I was in the lab doing the research, but I think one, him taking a chance on me because at the time that I met him, the reason I met him and I got the job was because, again, I was working on the human rights campaign at LGBT Pride in West Hollywood, and two tenths over was his team trying to recruit subjects for their studies. Uh, and then I met them. They said, we need a psychologist to help extend our, our research from animals to humans. So I kind of came in that way, and then he got to know me, and he took a chance on me, and, and then I went through six years of training with them. So I think, you know, he really helped shape and navigate my postdoctoral life. 
um, to where I am, you know, able to do some of the things I do and, and offer the expertise that I can to APA, the IOC, and other areas. Have you experienced any hardships since high school? Yeah, I, I think that the normal human, you know, life experience is a heartbreak, you know, but, uh, and then I would say, so I won't go into those too much deeper, but what I would say here, again, like I mentioned, I think there's been an unusual experience being here. It was great for a couple of years and then it was not great. And it, it's hard for me knowing all the people who are leaving, seeing how some of the people I respect who are people of color, faculty of color, seeing how they're treated by administration and others here, it's hard not to kind of associate that with race, ethnicity, non-whiteness. And and so I, never before here had I really overtly experienced depression. Not that it wasn't there before, but I, I think there's something unique about the last five years that's allowed it to come out from the woodworks and be just overtly expressed with people not feeling shame or any kind of morality or conscience about what they're doing in other human What about the biggest joys in your life? How do you treasure those memories? So I do a lot of photographs I used to do. And of course, now with the, I used to be old school, like, you know, film, you know, and then I'd have to go and yell at the person on HEB, you know, which I cringe on. But anyways, um, so now it's much easier to do a lot of, so I think a lot of photo memories. Um, I was doing Facebook for a while, but then now I have like conflicted feelings on Facebook where I was kind of doing like these, almost a photo diary for myself and I would share with other people. But now kind of, I, I'm kind of iffy with that. So I need to figure out a way where to preserve these pictures. But also appreciating, like, should we ever lose power or the internet? You know, all these pictures are gone. So how can I preserve these in hard format? But um, you, yeah, you get your own website, Cisco. <laughs> but what happens if, if we lose energy? Like, you know, like those apocalyptic shows. <laughs> then you have a backup drive. Somehow. Print them. Print them in a photo album. Print them. What are your plans for the next 10 to 20 years? Well, hopefully I'll, I'll remain in academia. I'll be honest with you, like my experience here the last few years, it made me think like, why am I academia? So again, like I mentioned before, so during the pandemic, when it started in, in March of 2020, uh, and I was, I remember I was in the middle of teaching biopsychology here. And also one of my students is like, the alert just came through, like campus is shutting down in one hour. You know, I'm like, holy shit, sorry. How do, how do I cram in the rest of this lecture and <laughs> what time is left? But then uh, subsequent to that, so now no more class in person for a while. But then seeing the news reports of San Francisco shutting down and no one's going to be let, let in or out. And then Louisiana was talking about it and I was super panicked. So I came home, I pretty much like threw what I could in my car and unplugged everything in the house so I wouldn't waste energy here while I was gone and it just left for Laredo you know <laughs> for I don't know when and I, so then I was I spent the next two years at least 70 percent of it down in Laredo so where I'm going with this is I so again I think that experience of being down in Laredo at a period when it was so markedly different than when we grew up and just really a great appreciation for how valuable Tammy U is and the new LC is for advancing you know our future generations just really wanting to be a part of it because then I, I would feel myself coming back to Missouri and begrudgingly. Like I'm coming back here with my skills and expertise to help a lot of white students who give who don't give a crap about me, you know, racially, ethically, whatever. I would rather be able to be in San Antonio or Laredo and create a counselor psychology PhD program to be able to, to train our students to be able to offer the mental health for our community, our parents, our families. 
So that would be a long-term dream. I'm going now to ASU, which is a, it's a Hispanic-serving institute, so much more Latino than here. Um, so maybe that's a step episode, but it, I mean, ideally, it'd be great if I could, again, like I mentioned, TAMU or TAMU, San Antonio. Um, again, San Antonio would be benefit of the military. Laredo would be right at the border, or maybe the both, but like being able to sort well, of- There's also UTRGV. Mm-hmm. They have a medical school. Yeah, the other school colors, but yes, but there's also that one. <laughs> that's true. I forgot. Sorry, yeah. I don't discriminate. <laughs> I'm teasing, but no, RGV is great. What is one thing about you that no one would ever guess? Um, that 47, I'm still a gamer. So no, actually in high school, I wasn't really a gamer, but I think, I don't know, it became my escape from academics. That Judge Judy first, and then it was gaming. Um, and so there's like nothing academic, super like baseline, just have fun. And so, yeah, right now I'm playing a game that came out a while ago called Dying Light because um, I want to play the new one, which came out Dying Light 2. So I wanted to play the first one first, but it just kind of spent a lot of time gaming in the middle of the night once I'm done reading, writing, grading, all that kind of stuff. So is there any old people stuff that you do? Like, uh, yeah. So when I bend over and now apparently make noises, you know, like, oh, my back, you know, like get that piece of paper off the ground. <laughs> but in my defense, which is not a good defense, I have had four knee surgeries. Which you would think I'd be like Roger or the cross-country team people. No, I don't know why, but I just had bad meniscus. And so I've had one surgery on my right knee and four, three on my left, including a cadaver transplant. It's all those high kicks in high school. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to be a golden spur with Gabby or whoever else was on the team. What would you tell your younger self back in August 1991 as we were starting our senior year? And then what would you tell yourself at the end of the senior year? You don't have to put up with being verbally by a teacher. And the sad thing, like I mentioned, I think I, I dropped it in earlier, but Mrs. Winters is my advocate. The sad, I mean, again, you know, school officials are entrusted with caring for the safety and well-being of students, whether or not it's, I know it's very taxing, but nonetheless, that's what you signed up for. And the fact that Mrs. Winters and other people were letting the administration know that I was being verbally abused and that it was a pattern of behavior for this particular teacher, and they did nothing. And to think about the long-term ramifications of that kind of torment on, a, on an adolescent until adulthood. So I wish I would have told myself, like, you don't have to put up with this. This is wrong. This is illegal. And if your administration is not willing to do it, then go to a lawyer, go to the press. And then at, uh, so now finishing graduate, now on a different thing, I would say, and the same advice for the class of 2022 is... Take the opportunities to get out, even if it's for a few years. So whether even if you go to a college far away, also take the opportunity to study abroad. I think so that's one thing I wish I had done. But for those who maybe are not even at that point, is like I know it feels scary to go a few hours away from Laredo for education, but just really appreciate that you can always come back to Laredo. That there's a lot of wisdom that you will gain from going a few hours away and meeting people who have different ways of being and different worldviews that you can come back and now help benefit the youth of Laredo or the community of Laredo with that new perspective or that expanded perspective on life. What do you miss about the 90s? I miss baggy clothes, only because post-COVID, I've gained a lot of weight. <laughs> I got the COVID-19 pounds, which I'm trying to get back into it, especially going back to Arizona. They're going to be a little bit more superficial in Missouri. But um, so I miss the baggy clothes thing, but I'm back in it. And then uh, I also miss the kind of a, more of a collective sense of truth in part because there was fewer networks. The internet was not as powerful as it is nowadays. 
so that people usually got their source of information from particular trustworthy legacy institutes where now you can shop around and find the truth you want, even if it's not even the truth. And I think it's caused a lot, it's contributed to a lot of the divisiveness we see today in our country. What don't you miss about the 90s? I mean, that was pre-Donass Hotel, pre, you know, um, Texas Sodomy laws, pre-marriage, like same-sex marriage. So they kind of, I don't I don't miss that uh, when conversion therapy and creative therapies were big. So I don't miss a lot of those kind of oppressive discriminatory practices or views or really ill-informed information related to people who have HIV AIDS, other kinds of things where you just kind of those things I don't miss. Well, while you were in Laredo, did you happen to go by the old Nixon or the new Nixon campus? I did and drive by. What did you think of it? I'm like, I want to go inside. <laughs> it's huge. I mean, it's great to see. Although I do have, again, I mentioned Atsongo, my beef with Principal Moore. I, she was still a great woman. Seeing the name, a building named after her is awesome. I mean, think the new courts. I want to see the new, I guess they redid the football field, which is a disaster when we were there. The wall, I guess they got rid of it completely, but do you know they got rid of that Mustang that used to be by the FFA building kind of, or wherever it was? It's where that green Mustang, that was Ironworks. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, so I do like the open air campus that we used to have, but at the same time, as hot as Laredo is, part of me is also like, I actually like never having to leave the air conditioning, assuming it works versus when we were there, you know? <laughs> So you've already given us advice for the class of 2022. So we are going to jump to the old school category. And now, who do you want to give a shout out to? So like I mentioned before, I'm curious to hear what happened to Ronnie and Lauda and Sally. But I mean, you know, all my old friends who, you know, offered a lot of support, you know, Erica, Elsa, Mark, and then a lot of the student council people which was a lot more than what I listed because I mean, it was, you know, every year it just changed, but um, they were all aware of issues and very supportive, even if they couldn't necessarily step in. So. Curate a playlist of five to 10 songs for the class of 1992. Oh man, that was like struggling through. So, so I went through the U S songs and then I thought, well, but there's a couple of Spanish songs, but anyway, so like love shack, I, a toy soldier was during our time, 89. I only want to be with you just popped in my head the other day. Uh, Cause I watched the loose week Miguel series on Netflix. Rhythm as a Dancer, I have Vogue and Madonna's um, Erotica, uh, All This Time by Tiffany, I have Lost in Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson, but there's two Spanish ones, oh, Tepeche one as well, but two, two Spanish ones because during high school, um, that was the first time I had the quinceañera, it's like be a ch uh, chambelan or whatever, like learn how to do these dances, but I also had to learn how to dance like Spanish music, so like Ayena and La Carcacha, I remember those being some of the ones my tía used to help me train how to learn how to dance cumbia, so... So you, you know how to cumbia? Do you know the other one? What the? The Tejano dance? Oh, girl, I barely know cumbia. <laughs> okay, and now we're on to the lightning round. What was the last TV show you binged watched? So I didn't mention Narcos, but we just started, what was the one? There's a new one called Stay Close, which is also a Spanish voiceover. Well, I don't want to say too much about it. Like these four stories that are intertwined within Netflix, you know, something from the past coming together. So stay close on Netflix. What's your favorite movie from the 90s? Barely in the 90s, so 1990, Dancing with Wolves, uh, the Kevin Costner movie. I, I know I know it's probably Kevin Costner's, but I remember at that time, 
I was just blown away when I saw it at uh, UA Cinemas, the Norte, wherever it was. Watching this, the cinematography and the scenery, the mountains and Dakotas and Colorado. I think back as like when I was like, oh my god, I want to live in the mountains, you know. And so it all, and I, and you know, maybe very interested in the National Park Service and wolf preservation. So that's what it was. I thought you were going to see Star Trek. I did Star Trek's number, but when we were in high school, so I remember when Laura and Mark to go see Star Trek Five. It was such a bad movie. <laughs> I, Star Trek Six came out, Undiscovered Country, but I can't remember if that was when we were still in high school or if it was when we were in college. College. Yeah. So, so Star Trek Five was a flop. Yes. Final Frontier. Oh. So that's Terrible. why I remember that one. Yep. <laughs> what um, What fads from the '90s do you think is still cool? Well, like I mentioned earlier, baggy clothes. But what else is there? I mean, I don't know. Are scrunchies coming back? And like neon colors, yeah. I'm sure they're bound to come back. Seems like they cycle quite a bit. But the scrunchies, I've noticed my, I think my nieces and nieces with them. What is your favorite beverage? Merlot or Malbec. I've been on Malbec kick too. Although I also have been doing on craft beers. So, and I actually hated beer. And so I actually didn't drink very much. And so I was in graduate school, which made me say something. But anyways, so I remember my first time I really started liking beer, which I used to hate, was uh, Dodger Stadium, July, middle of the afternoon. I was burning up. I didn't like beer before then, but I spent the entire game on the, the concourse drinking beer because that's all that was easily there. And then after that, every time it was a hot day in Los Angeles or elsewhere, I started getting this craving for beer. So it became a conditioned response to want beer when I'm hot and bothered in the summer. <laughs> Good thing they didn't ring a bell while you were trying. I know, right? <laughs> Signature dish that you cook or something that you bake? So spaghetti sauce. So when I was in Los Angeles, uh, so for eight of the nine years that I lived there, I lived with a roommate in West LA named Paolo Filippini, who was originally from Florence, Italy. So I liked Italian food to begin with, but then he taught me how to refine making Italian sauces. And then there was also this, this three-month period where his parents came and stayed with us. And most people are like, oh, my God, like someone else's parents are there in your place. How can you deal with it? I'm like, well, every morning when I wake up, it's like the Olive Garden, like much, much better. They're already making dinner. You know, Mrs. Filippini is like slowly making the sauce at 9 a.m. And there's Mr. Filippini popping out the pasta and cutting it. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like, this is perfect. This is heaven. So anyway, so yeah. So uh, anyways, back to the reality thing it was like, uh, a spaghetti sauce that I learned because of the Filippinis. Now, surprisingly, that's a very popular answer. Not spaghetti sauce, but Italian food in general that classmates have been answering. When I was in, in Chicago, so my our, my preschool was run by Italians. So every lunch we had Italian food. So my brother and I used to say, like, that's our favorite food, uh, which begrudgingly my parent, my grandparents did not like because it should be Mexican. Do you prefer, or will you answer this, flying or road trips? Road trips. Yep. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? I'm sorry, Missy, but no. <laughs> I don't hate it, but it's not something I would shoot. I would still eat it, especially if there's a lot of alcohol involved, but like by itself, not something I would shoot. Well, obviously, you're going to have ham on it. Yeah. Ham with pineapple. Yeah. Is there a tape or CD or album that you still have from high school that you've played over and over again? No, not really, because most of that stuff's back in Laredo. The closest would be Madonna CDs, you know, because I, I had the I have the audio tapes, but of course I don't have an audio player anymore or tape tape recorder anymore. So now it's CDs. But yeah, but certain old Madonna songs. Well, is there anything else you would like to tell the class of nineteen ninety two? 
No, other than, I mean, this is great, you know, and um, I look forward to hearing more of these audio and these podcasts. I mean, it's been really insightful and really awesome to hear these old memories and jar my own memories. And um, yeah, I hope everyone's doing well and especially their loved ones. And I, many people have families and it's great to see all the updates. And now I'm going to try to connect with people on Facebook, whereas before I used to be kind of opposed. I was trying to keep that, you know, boundary. You know, now I'm starting to see Max Lazar and other people popping up on my Facebook uh, feed. Well, I'm so glad you agreed to do this. It's been so much fun catching up with you. Yes, it's great to see you too and catch up with you. Too. I know you were, somebody has mentioned you or maybe a couple of people mentioned, what about Cisco? I know Alma definitely mentioned your name when we were brainstorming this project. Yes, that was great to hear it to her. And again, she had a big influence in my political stint that I did for a while, you know, so. And now for the postscript. Cisco wants to thank physics partner Chris Ortegon Irwin for the time she consoled him in class. It clearly made an impact, but this just shows that Chris has always had a big heart. As always, thanks for listening, and if you want to take part, let us know. <laughs>